how do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to The Scale Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Staley, and I have a very, very special guest today. I have Vlad Blagojevich. Vlad has worked with companies like Sony, EMC, and Sirius. He's built marketing and selling for complex B2B products. He is a Serbian, Belgium, in Spain. He's also the author of a six-week ABM playbook. And something that I'm very, very excited that isn't talked about much is one of the things that Vlad does is he has he helps B2B brands generate uh, marketing for high ACV opportunities and enterprise opportunities has a consulting company in which he helps organizations do that. Vlad, welcome to the show, man. Happy to have you on. Oh, I'm super excited to be here. I love your energy, man. <laughs> super excited to be Thanks, here. Thanks, man. Yeah, we had, we, you know, truth be told, I, I like to give the behind the scenes and I had a couple false starts. I had a, a massive back pain in the middle of my first intro for Vlad, which never happened before. So I think we're going to unlock some some pretty cool things today. So Vlad, just to give everybody a good sense of kind of where you're at in your journey, um, I'm going to go through a quick revenue rundown. So where are you guys at revenue wise in terms of annual revenue? So we started about a year ago. We are still sub million to, to consult, to, to be two person consulting company. Uh, we work with companies who are between, let's say three and 10 million. Okay. Excellent. So you're, you're about a year in what's your go to market strategy. I think I have a hint. I think I have an idea on this one. So basically, we do a bunch of things. So we do in terms of our uh, own, you know, demand generation, how we go to market, we do a bunch of things. We post on LinkedIn daily, we have our newsly weekletter, we do our own podcast, we do live podcasts, we do partner webinars, we do two summits, like big summits. The last time we did it, we had more than 50, no, 50 sessions, more than 50 people. Wow. Um, uh, 40, let's say, marketing, uh, B2B marketing leaders and more than 3,000 attendees. So we do a bunch of things uh, because being in marketing, we also use our own company as a kind of an R&D lab and try different things. We even have our own community. I mean, imagine I, I forgot to mention that. So a bunch of different things there. That's awesome. I, I, I love that you have and create kind of your own sandbox for what you're doing. Uh, how big is your team? Is it just it's you and Andre? It's still us, okay. yeah. Yeah, okay, you know, excellent. Our little helpers, but really full-time, it's, it's uh, Andre and myself. Okay, excellent. And then your solution, what's your core solution? I know you provide marketing services to companies in the range of three to 10 million, but what's, what's your, your solution that you provide for them? Yeah, absolutely. So we basically, what we help them do is we help them land enterprise, let's say upper middle market and enterprise opportunities and also generate demand because a lot of these companies are in the markets where they may not yet be known or, you know, they're working on specific complex solutions and customers may not be aware of them. So demand generation becomes important. And so we do that. We usually set up what we, well, basically account-based marketing operations and uh, help them achieve these goals. Okay. I love that. And I can't wait to dig into that. And then are you bootstrapped or are you funded? Yeah, bootstrapped. Okay. Love that as well. I'm taking the same route myself. So, um, okay. So what I want to start with too is like, that's an awesome rundown. That's kind of where you're at. 
how did you get to this point? You know, like you've obviously had a journey. You work with for some really large organizations. This, I didn't even totally mention it. I think I mentioned it in the, the first two intros that I botched. But anyways, so you, uh, you, you did a great job, right? You've worked at some big companies. But how did you get to this point where you acquired mastery in terms of demand generation for really large opportunities? Yeah, it's a really good question. And, and the journey was not a very typical one. I started off actually as a software engineer. And then oh, wow. one day I was like a little bit sick of just, you know, I love building products, but I, I wanted to come closer to the customers. And the first gig that I had was kind of a consulting. But little did I know I was supposed to bring in our own project. So I was supposed to go out and sell. I didn't know anything about selling. I was this, you know, intellectual guy, engineer, and, you know, I had to be bringing projects. And luckily, I was with a really, really good colleague who explained me that sales is not really what I thought sales was, but it was really about understanding and listening to your customers, recommending a solution. And by the way, mentioning how we can help them. And I said, okay, I can do that. And I uh, actually became quite good at it and fell in love with sales, then later marketing. And since I always worked in the software, like with tech companies and always with like B2B complex niche solutions, industry or otherwise, um, I noticed that a lot of the things that, you know, were being promoted or sold uh, as marketing didn't really work in that context. So that was my, my, my goal was for the last, I would say, since 2011 or so. So let's say for the last 10 years, I was trying to find okay, what is actually working. So after a lot of trial and errors and also meeting Andre, who had some great, great things there, I um, finally came, came to the methods uh, that we are using today. That's awesome. And, and how did you and Andre meet? Like, you know, everybody talks about having a co-founder or a partner. Like, how did you guys meet? Like, it sounds like you went from sales and then experimented and then kind of got on the marketing side. But how did you guys meet? And then how did you decide to niche down into this specific offering? So we actually met. He started his own community. Yeah, I'm 2017 18 and so i was one of the first members there we chatted a lot we you know had some calls and then he came here to valencia 2018 to give a workshop where we met face to face we still didn't work together actually it was during covid and the first lockdown it was like bad and terrible and you know a lot of my you know consulting clients were like mm, at the beginning their knee-jerk reaction was well i'm not sure if you're going to continue etc but then I got a call from this accelerator, a startup accelerator, and they told me, hey, Vlad, and I've been working with them for five years, you know, mentoring startups and stuff. And they said, hey, Vlad, you know, you know, all of our startups, you know, especially like B2B, they relied a lot on trade shows and in-person events and all these events are canceled. They know what to do. Could you like help us? And I was like, yeah, sure, I can do it. And actually it turned out there were 22 startups and I was like, wow, okay, how will I actually be able to do that? And I knew that I wouldn't be able to do it alone. And that's when I reached out to Andre and we set up a program, like an eight-week program for them. Uh, and then we saw, well, you know, this this working really well, this partnership. And we decided to create a company together. Nice. Excellent. Uh, so I love that. That's, that's awesome. And, you know, this is 
you, you mentioned that's when it started. Was this a year ago or you started experimenting and then a year ago you kind of made it official? So we, yeah, so we basically, yeah, that was, when was it? April 2020 that we did this together. We decided like, during the summer, okay, we are going to work and then officially started by the end of the 2020. Okay, awesome. <clears throat> and so, so that was kind of like how you got to this point. Um, I love the the revenue range that three to ten million range of folks that you work with, and so let's talk about like what what do you consider high ACV or enterprise ACV? Because there's a lot of different definitions depending on who you're kind of talking about. And ACV means average contract value if you're not if you're not down with the acronym. So, um, what what would you classify as that, or how would you define that? Yeah, so I would say that in our case. Uh, the minimum minimum would be pay maybe 20k a year. Uh, most of our clients will be anywhere between, let's say, 50 and 300k, and some of the clients will have, you know, multi-million or let's say tier one uh, accounts and, and deals that they have will go into into millions. But let's say the majority would be between 100 and 300k. Okay, 100 and 300k. I love that. That aligns with. My definition as well. Some people define it, believe it or not, Vlad. I don't know if you see this by logo name. They don't do it by dollar size, but they're like, oh, that's a big company. You know, and I'm like, well, you could sell to a big company, but if you're selling a $1,000 a month deal, it's com it's completely different motion and requirements than a $100,000 a month deal. <laughs> you know what I mean? To even a smaller company. So, um, so we're in alignment there. Okay. So, so let's take it a couple steps further. So, you know, what is the number one difference and biggest mistake, I should say? Actually, let me take a step back. What's the number one biggest mistake that you see organizations making when trying to market to those high $100,000 plus deals versus normal marketing for that are, are kind of lower tier? Yeah, the number one biggest mistake is broad targeting like trying to get anybody who could potentially use your product and not going very, very narrow and not taking the time to actually understand who you're. I know like a lot of people talk about ideal customer profile, but I, what I mean here is maybe those 50 to 100 accounts. So that narrow, like in a very specific, in very specific industries and really like nailing and understanding what makes an account a good fit. And when I'm talking about a good fit, I'm talking about, you know, understanding to a level of maybe having 30 qualification or disqualification criteria, really nailing mm. it to that level and having a list of dream accounts that you're after. So, so give me some examples of, cause I've never heard of like 30 qualification or disqualification categories. Give me some examples of, of what you're thinking for that. Yeah. I mean, on, on a general level, obviously, you will have things like firmographics, you will have the industry and then the specific verticals that you're targeting, you will have, you know, the potentially like the team structure, I don't know if you're after like if you're the MarTech, maybe the marketing team structure, etc. But there's sometimes some very specific qualification criteria. Let me give you an example. Like, so we were working with a company who was a technology provider for advertising technology space, ad tech space, right? And uh, I, I, I don't really know exactly what that means, but basically one of the things that was really important for them was whether their ad tech 
prospects actually had something that is called mobile SDK. Why? Because they were really good uh, in that technology. And that was such an important criterion because it allowed them to go on LinkedIn and check out the the companies and the people who are working there in their profile. We could actually see whether they have people that are working on that, check their product roadmaps, etc. And in the first campaign, during the first six months, I believe that we were working with them, uh, they focused on 11 accounts, 11 accounds. Wow. They generated five, 5 million in pipeline, closed 2 million out of that. We are talking about nine. They basically act, generated opportunities with nine out of 11 accounts because they really, really, really nailed this uh, qualification criterion. In this case, they had a bunch of others, right? Uh, yeah. Do you want more examples? I can, I can go on. No, but. I think that's great. I mean, like, I, so I kind of approach it the same way. Like when I work with folks and I, I look at, you know, most, most companies mention ICP and I look at it as like PCP, which is a perfect customer profile. It's kind of like how I identify it. And mm-hmm. You know, what I've kind of seen is that, you know, same thing that you're talking about is like companies will be way too broad. And I even look at, you know, the areas that you mentioned, but also some even ownership. You know, are they VC backed? Mm-hmm. Are they private equity owned? Oh, yeah. Are they private? Are they public? Because all of those massively influence like that invisible force that influences like every single C level executive, you know, like. And I'll give you an example, like one of my former clients, he's a CEO of a $3 billion company, and they went from private to public, right? And he grew through the journey, right? When he started, they were 200 million. So eventually got promoted to the CEO of a $3 billion. So it was a really cool story. And I'm like, what's the biggest difference from being public versus when you were private? He goes, I spend so much time worrying about like earnings calls and share price. Like I never had to do that before and I could focus more on this, the strategy of the business. And I was like, wow, that's, that's like so insightful. So anyways, like once I heard things like that, I'm like, okay, if, if this is like taking up 40% of his time, that means it's going to take up 40% of his focus. That 40% of his focus is going to trickle down and that's a CEO. So anyways, that's a microcosm of kind of what I'm talking about. So we're singing from the same playbook here. So I totally get what you're talking about. Absolutely. Do you, do you look at verticals as well? Is that another area that you target no, when you say in the demographics area? Really important, yeah. And the reason why this is important is obviously like there may be, you know, some characteristics, um, maybe they're more mature, they have a bigger need, et cetera, et cetera. But also, even though you may be selling to different verticals, you may it's still a good idea to go to market vertical by vertical or to be very targeted on a specific vertical during a period of time as you're, you know, proactively, you know, going to market and, 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 and marketing and selling. Why? Because, well, there are so many reasons. Obviously, you know, having sp- vertical specific case studies is going to help you close mm-hmm. the same vertical. People always want to know about other companies because my company is always different, right? We are always yeah. different. They, yeah. they, they, they want that. But, you know, uh, ver- uh, word of mouth spreads easier in, in a vertical. Um, you have obvious like partners that you can involve. And we, we do a lot of co-marketing with, you know, potential partners, industry influencers, uh, you know, even other buyers, uh, we always involve those in marketing. And of course, if you're focused on a, vertic- a vertical, I mean, it's much easier to be relevant if you're talking about 
their specific industry influencers and associations and magazines or whatever you're using to to influence them yeah i i i think like one of the things is like the people underestimate is like the higher the dollar value the larger the expectations that the buyer has you know from the experience right like if if a sales rep is some hack that is selling really general and doesn't know the needs of that specific vertical then they're going to like kick you out you know what I mean? Um, and so, and I, I've had Fortune 50 companies tell me that. I had a guy from mm-hmm. Lowe's tell me that. Like every other rep has come in here. Like when I had, when I was running a team as a VP and and every other rep that's come in here is, is just talking in generalizations. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, it's it's kind of like if you're, if you're buying in like a $2,000 diamond ring, it's a different experience if you're buying a $50,000 diamond ring, right? That you expect. So, um, so, so let's, so I, one of the things I want to circle back to that I, I absolutely love that you talked about. So you mentioned $5 million in pipe, $2 million in revenue. And how long did that take to achieve that result? Uh, six months. Six months. Okay. That's, that's unbelievable. And how big was the company? Uh, the company was at the time, I believe, around 50 people, I, I assume, um, doing... I'm not sure at the time what the revenue was, but let's say around two million uh, potentially. Okay. So that's that's fantastic. So two million in revenue, six months later, five million in pipe, another two million dollars in revenue, and so they basically doubled the size of the company in six months. Okay. Yeah. The, the the thing is that we were working. So we were working with let's say one business unit. Specific, so they were eventually acquired by a bigger company. So eventually, like the company was bigger, but basically the business that we were working with was about that size. So indeed, okay. like, yeah, yeah. basically so, doubled. Very, very similar. So that's awesome. So walk me through kind of a step-by-step framework on how that result was achieved and, and how you kind of approach it. Yeah, actually, this was a, a quite a simple, let's say, campaign uh, that we helped them set up or the process. And the first step, like we discussed, was nailing the uh, target vertical, actually vertical, very specifically. And they were the example of the, uh, you know, having that mobile SDK as a criterion. They could, I mean, one thing that you often hear when you're talking to executives or, you know, marketers and sales, our technology is industry agnostic. But of course... That's like the, 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 the way that the buyers buy is not. They buy very differently. They use different language. Their priorities are different. Like it's, mm-hmm. everything is different from the buyer's perspective, right? So we first really nailed that. And it was, uh, in, in their case, we, we, we saw we, the way that we usually do this is looking at the evidence, and mm-hmm. what, what I mean by that is simply studying their CRM, you know, what are the best fit deals and identifying the different segments and, you know, together with the team, scoring the different segments and, and deciding on, on, on the one to focus. And then in the next step, we always, again, based on the evidence, if you're trying to replicate your best deals, you want to understand uh, how your best customers are buying. I mean, if you're talking about ideal customer profile, there are 
two things in there, two words like ideal, mean, meaning your best customers from that target segment. And the second one is customers. So they, it has to be based on actual customers. And the only way you can do that is by going back and talking to those customers and interviewing them. And that's something that a lot of companies, a mistake that we see, a lot of companies skip that step. Mm. And so based on that, we build this like detailed view of how does an ideal customer look like? How does an ideal account look like? But also, how does an ideal buyer committee look like? Who are the different types of buyers in there? What are their needs? What are their objections? Uh, at which stage do they get involved in the buying process? Um, you know, what kind of information are they looking for, etc. So when I'm talking about an ideal customer profile, I'm really talking about understanding what kind of companies we are after, but also how and why I, are, are they buying? And, and, mm -hmm. and eventually also, why are they buying from you? Why are they choosing you compared to the competitors? The next step always is, you, okay, so you have your ICP, you understand who you're selling to, understand how they're buying. Uh, the next step is you want to refine your value proposition for that segment. Again, you don't want to be generic. Like you said, you don't want generic stuff. You want to be very specific. So we go and we refine the value proposition for that segment, but we also refine the value proposition for the different types of buyers, right? So with that in, in mind, we also decided at the time, we actually wanted to run an account-based marketing campaign with some direct mail, but it was at the beginning of COVID and it was like, mm -hmm. shit. Everybody went away. We couldn't send parcels. We couldn't do this. So we decided to, to change the play and we decided to focus on LinkedIn. So the, the 5 million pipe and, and 2 million in deals was actually all done using LinkedIn. And so once we had you know, the, the, the ICP, we had a refined value proposition, we built the account list. Uh, it was, like I said, the initial list was 11 accounts and about 200 buyers, let's say, more or less, give or take. And so what we decided as well is we took three people from their team, uh, from their sales and, and executive team, and we decided like each of them is going to target a different type of buyer. That was very important because we wanted to use uh, demand generation on LinkedIn. So we wanted to create some content also on LinkedIn for the different buyers. But obviously, different buyers will have different informational needs. You know, different mm -hmm. kind of messaging is going to appeal to different people. They're at the different level, etc. So the, the question was like, okay, if you want to do LinkedIn, if you want to put their people, you know, up, you know, out there and 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 connect it to the to the target buyers, um, how do you like? What should you be talking about when you have these different informational needs? And the way we solved it was okay, okay. So the their their CEO was you know targeting the executives. We had somebody who was more technical, like CCTO, basically targeting the more uh, technical buyers. And I think it was their sales, uh, their their. Um, VP sales or or, or, or or marketing, I think it was sales who was, you know, targeting a third uh, type of buyer. Then uh, we... Wait, hey, Vlad, because yeah. you're on to a great point. I just want to, before it escapes me. So how are they, you know, you got the CEO targeting the executives, CTO tech people, right? So it's 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 aligned functionally by role. So they, they have that mm -hmm. feel. Mm -hmm. What, like... 
how do you operationalize that? Right. Like you have a VA, you know, with a set playbook managing each person's account. How does that actually work? No, that's a good question. That's absolutely. So basically what you want to do, it's, First of all, what does that mean? Well, first of all, it means that you want to update your LinkedIn profile. Like I said, you have this refined value proposition for that target account, uh, for that target account uh, profile, let's say, mm-hmm. uh, a vertical and type of buyer. So that's the first thing. You, you need to kind of turn your, land, uh, your, your LinkedIn profile into a landing page, a buyer-centric uh, uh, LinkedIn profile. That's the first step. Because as you, as you become active on LinkedIn, you're going to be seen by those people and you want them to see you in the right way. They want, you want to be positioned in the right way. Next, um, you want to start warming up and engaging those buyers. And how do you warm up and engage those buyers? Well, there are several things that you're doing. First of all, you are connecting to connected to them, but not only to them. This is one of the mistakes that I see people make is they only connect to their ICP, but there are actually four or five different audiences that you can connect to that will help you get to your buyer. And this is like a, this is one thing that it's like such a missed opportunity because who do the, who do your buyers trust? They don't trust you if they don't know you yet and they know you have a commercial interest, so they're not really going to trust you, but they already do trust somebody. They trust their peers, they trust their colleagues, they trust their industry influencers, they trust niche media, maybe like specific podcasts like your listeners or, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, events, communities, whatever. So actually... This is who you should be connecting on LinkedIn. You should be connecting to these four or five different audiences and obviously your your buyers. Next, so your profile. So you're connecting to people. You're building your network with five different audiences. Next, you're engaging them. What does that mean? It means simply uh, commenting, you know, engaging with their posts if they're posting. It means potentially, you know, writing specific posts for them, for their account, for their company, for their industry, tagging them, asking their opinion. Like there's different ways in which you can engage them and kind of warm them up. Uh, um, that's, that, that's the next step. And part of that is as well content creation. So what we did is um, for each of those types of buyers, we developed something we call the map of informational needs. And it's essentially listing all the questions that they may have during your buying process. That was, that's why it was so important at the beginning to understand the buying process. So we had a map of informational needs for the CDO. We had the map of informational needs for the CEO. And basically what it is, it is all the topics and the questions that I have, right? Now, if you have, so we had a content editor who was taking every week, basically, okay, so these are the questions that we want to work on. The next the next thing you needed to have was, okay, so who is going to provide you the information about this? Who is going to provide you the answers, the expertise? So we had defined the internal subject matter experts. And so basically what we were doing, what, well, we, what the client was doing was they were, uh, their content editor was interviewing those uh, subject matter experts around those interviews. And then they had content writers who were producing content, uh, both for the website, but actually mainly for the LinkedIn that we could share. You know, and like I said, it was content that was relevant, that was answering those questions. It was con- content about the industry, the vertical, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
And uh, eventually also what we did, we did what we call a market research play, where we were also reaching out to the buyers and interviewing them and co-creating content with the buyers. So that was all the part of the, the warm-up and engagement. So you're still not selling, you're just like forming them up, you're actually generating awareness and demand, in the, the know, like, and trust factor in that step. Does it make sense still? Yeah, I love that, yeah. man. So just as a quick recap, because I'll, I'll give everybody a recap, because you, you hit on a lot of stuff, right? Yeah. So yeah. we're looking at you know the vertical, the segmentation, <clears throat> then you refine it, you know, then you leverage LinkedIn as the the tool of 200 contacts across 11 different accounts, right? Then you have alignment in terms of targets, you know, in terms of levels, right? So executive reaching out to executives or CEO to CEOs, tech to tech, things like that. You start the engagement or warming up the no like and trust factor where you're either engaging their posts, tagging them on posts that you create for them. And then, you know, you have the map of kind of informational needs that, that they're going to have, and you could do content plays or market research plays to continue to warm them up. That, did I miss anything? Or uh, we, no, yeah, you nailed, okay. nailed it. You nailed I, that's it. Why I, I was taking notes, man. I didn't want to miss it. So <laughs> I usually don't take notes, I'm, but I wanted to make sure I hit on it. Okay, so keep going. So then how do we put the uh, the, the cherry on top? How do we finish this off and uh, create that, that $2 million in revenue? Yeah, so in the next step, what we were doing, like a lot of actually, if you do this consistently and over actually uh, six months, a lot of the opportunities were really inbound right but usually what we do is for example using the market research play you what you're doing you're inviting buyers to interviews right so you're whether you're partnering somebody in their case they decided to partner with one of the biggest players in their market with one of the biggest accounts there who was actually their customer and they published market research about the ad tech space and they were inviting buyers for interviews and that's really cool because you know we talk a lot about account research but i don't think there is a better account research than actually talking to buyers and asking yeah. them about you know their key initiative challenges you know whatever is happening in there and this is such an underestimated play, I think. And obviously, at the same time, you're building, building relationships, you're kind of starting your conversations. That's one example. Another example is how you start moving from this engagement. I think if I take a step back, what is important to understand is that what you don't want to do in with this kind of accounts, you know, these were like 700K deals. So you, what you don't want to do is you don't want to pitch on the first date. You don't want to go out in the bar, meet somebody and, and propose their hand in marriage, right? That's, that's We know how that doesn't work, but that's unfortunately how a lot of BDRs are behaving, right? And so what, what you want to do is you, your goal may be in that bar would be to get your first date. Right. And that's exactly what you're doing here. You're kind of like the right action at the right time. If they're engaging, well, maybe you can connect with them and start a little chat in the in the DM, right? Um, maybe you can start. So maybe if they're you know chatting with you, maybe you can then next invite them to that interview. Or maybe you can share something with them because you had that, let's say, uh, vertical specific case study, potentially you could share that case study or, or something. If they're in, keep engaging, you know, you can move, you know, can move on and move on and eventually obviously also go to the, to a sales conversation, especially if you had the conversation with them previously uh, for the market research or otherwise, and you will very quickly be able to qualify and understand 
what 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 does that mean basically understand whether there is a needs but also be able to have enough information so instead of pitching in a generic way mm-hmm. now you can talk about you know during our conversation you mentioned that you're struggling with x y and z and that one of your priorities for 2022 was to do y you know we actually did a you know we did a project together with a client who was similar to you and struggling with you know exactly the x and you know we helped them get y in three months you know so basically instead of pitching them cold with generic messages you're you're basically leveraging what you learned about them in those conversations and personalizing your well, pitch is per- maybe even a big word, you're actually moving into that sales conversation. So this is actually the majority of what we did is, again, doing the engagement, turning that engagement into conversations, and then turning those conversations into, let's say, more qualified conversations and sales calls. Love that. So yeah, that that that's that's awesome. I mean, it makes so much sense. And I think you know, it's natural if you're chasing seven hundred thousand dollar deals that it's it's not going to work to to just do a general spammy message, right? Kind of like what I was saying is like how they actually buy is highly specific, verticalized knowledge. So that's the way you're marketing to them, which I think is beautiful because it it's it's basically mimicking that sales process in the marketing process before you know them. Is that like a good way to kind of wrap up? Like, yeah, I think you're right. I think it's basically selling the way that the buyers buy. Like, instead of yeah, selling perfect. the way you would like them to, you would like to sell them how your CRM is set up, you're basically selling the, the way they're actually buying. Yeah, that's perfect. So, okay, so that's awesome. We're just about up on time though. So, I want to wrap things up. We've actually gone a little bit long, but that's okay, man. You were on a roll and I didn't want to interrupt it. So, let's go through like kind of a, uh, a fast fire. Question. So what's your favorite book you've read in the last two years? In the last two years, I think it's To Sell is Natural. To Sell is Human, maybe? Is that what it is? To Sell is Human, yes. Is that Adam Grant that had that one? Yeah. Okay, cool. What's your favorite podcast besides your own? (laughs) (laughs) My favorite podcast... I think it would be the uh, ABM conversations from uh, Yag Yag Ganesh Yagashwaran Ganesh, if I'm pronouncing that well. Wow, that's that's a mouthful. I, I'm not yeah, even gonna try. And- he's a really good guy. He has amazing people on it. Really, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, who's who's your favorite founder or CEO that that you follow right now? Um, it's actually. Uh, a local guy, one of my ex-clients uh, called Thomas Gobo, that's his name. He founded a company called Let's Build, uh, which was in construction space. Now he's moving on to new uh, new pastures and we, we had a lot of conversations. But because I know him so well, I am kind of like a kind of like a, a role model there. That's awesome. That's really cool. Uh, and then what would you say, last but not least, is your favorite online tool that you could not live without? Oh, my God. <laughs> I would have to say LinkedIn because uh, it's not really like a tool that you would use for some productivity, et cetera, but it's definitely a tool that generates the most value for me. Yeah. No, that's awesome. I mean, it can be used as a tool, right? So, okay. So to to wrap things up, you know, 
where can people find you? Where can they learn more about you and, and FullFunnel.io? Well, FullFunnel.io, obviously our website, and just freely connect with me on LinkedIn. I post daily. I you know accept connection requests. If you ask me anything, I will always respond. So just do that. That's the easiest and the most direct. Excellent. All right, man. It was great having you on the show today. I really appreciate you and kind of your approach. And I think this is, this is wildly valuable to help people connect kind of the actual sales process and continue that all the way into marketing with the way that people buy. So thanks for being on. Thank you so much. Uh, I had so much fun. Yeah, me too, Brad. Thank you for checking out The Scale Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.